Welcome to Pioneering Today with me, Melissa K. Norris, where I inspire your faith and your pioneer roots. I show you how to grow your own food, heirloom gardening, how to preserve your food at home, and modern homesteading. Tune in every other Friday as I share proven strategies that anyone can do to live the pioneer lifestyle. Make sure to head over to melissaknorris.com and subscribe to receive free Pioneering Today articles and updates. Today's episode, we are talking about planting a fall garden. Now, hang with me for a moment. I know you guys are totally thinking, what? It's the very first of August. What are you talking about a fall garden now for? Well, if you want to have vegetables to harvest in the fall, then you have to plant them now. So we're going to be talking about a fall garden, which I'm thrilled about because Growing your own food is great on so many levels, but for us, it really helps cut down on my grocery bill um, throughout the summer months when we're in the midst of all the produce coming on. You know, I go grocery shopping from the garden. So whatever is in season, whatever's ripe when I go out, then that's what I plan our meal around. So a lot of times in the summer months, I can go out and we have um, our own beef cattle that we raise and we raised meat chickens this year. And so, you know, my meat, those sources of meat, I don't have to buy from the grocery store. And then we also have quite a bit of salmon um, that we put up in the freezer or smoke and can. So for this year, with the addition of the meat chickens, and then we're also growing two pigs, which we're not going to butcher those until I I said growing two pigs. (laughs) Did you catch that? Well, we kind of are. But anyways, raising two pigs. (laughs) Um, that we'll be butchering this fall in October. So almost all of our meat, um, which is awesome, we raise ourselves or or have a local source that we get from. So in the summer months, I can use meat from our freezer and then go and pick um, our vegetables. And so a lot of our meals are prepared totally from our own property um, or my own you know, grocery store, my own pantry, so to speak. I don't have to go to the store and purchase a lot of the things for our meals. So the summer months are awesome for that, but there's actually a lot that you can plant now and then harvest in the fall to continue that over. Um, I wish that we could grow food here year round. There's a few things um, and a few ways that you can try and do that. But the majority of our food that we harvest is in the summer months. And then this year, I'm going to be doing um, more of a fall garden. We've done smaller ones in the past, but I'm putting in a lot more this year and planning ahead. So I wanted to share that with you guys today. You know, typically here, we put most of the stuff in the ground. Um, we put in in the month of May for the most part. Um, you know, my tomatoes and the stuff that I start earlier, we start the end of March. Um, this year we put in, um, ended up putting in the ground about uh, 18 tomato plants and almost nine pepper plants. And so those that we started in much earlier, but those were started indoors um, under a little grow light. And so this year, my goal is to have food growing almost all year long and harvesting. And so I'm really excited about that. We put up an off-grid greenhouse. Um, So basically we had an old um, metal framework. It was like those carports that you can get like at Costco that are kind of like a temporary carport. um, And they have like a canvas tarpish type side. And so it's a metal frame. And so we had one of those um, that we had our little boat underneath. And, you know, about five years is about all we can get out of a tarp around here. (laughs) 
<laughs> with all the rain and snow and the weather and stuff. And so that had rotted and split. But I didn't want to get rid of the frame because it's a really great, strong metal framework um, that you can walk underneath, you know, upright and everything. And so we ordered online some greenhouse um, plastic and and anchors and stuff to hold that down. And we put that up. So I say off grid because it's not a greenhouse that has electricity to it. Um, I just, I use the wind and I roll up the sides when I need to cool it down and have air circulation and then roll those back down and secure them when I need to keep it warmer. So this year, my goal is to use that to grow um, some of the cool weather crops, which we call um, fall crops, cool weather crops, not during summertime to grow those all year round. So I will totally be giving you guys updates on that. And then after we've done it for a whole year, and I feel that I have more experience on that than I'm going to be sharing a lot on how to do that yourself. So stay tuned um, if growing your fruit year round is something you're interested in. And, you know, we have a fairly short growing season here. Um, I'm in the Pacific Northwest. And so normally the soil isn't warm enough for the summer crops, you know, summer squash and that kind of thing until the last week of May. This year it was a little bit warmer than normal and the soil was actually ready a couple weeks early. And then normally our first hard frost comes um, about, uh, it kind of varies, but about mid-October to the 1st of November, we can count on our first hard frost. We can get some light frost or cooler night temps before then, but pretty much my summer garden is done by the mid to end of September. You know, that's main harvest is completely done and I'm, and I'm bringing in the butternut squash and all those summer squashes and stuff to store. So, this year for planting a fall garden, I'm super excited to, um, one, because we use the, you know, the same garden plot because I've pulled up, we actually pulled up our garlic um, two weeks ago and cured and I braided that all last night. So curious about garlic and braiding and storing garlic and planting that. That is actually um, here um, in the Pacific Northwest where I am. We plant that about the first um, first week or so in October. So garlic gets planted in October and then it's about nine months and then it gets harvested in July. And so in the show notes, I will um, provide a link to that. So if you want to do garlic, um, that's something a little bit later out and I will um, share about how to do that. And so for any of the show notes or links to things that I'm referencing uh, you can go to melissaknorris.com, hit on the podcast button, and then you can go by episode. Um, this is going to be episode number 34, Planting a Fall Garden. And each episode, um, when you click on it, has resources. And also, um, the newer episodes have transcripts. So you can click on that and, and go to links to dig further into the information and stuff that I'm talking about. So if you're curious about garlic, that's what we plant about the 1st of October um, before the hard frost. So you'll want to get um, the resources on that. So for the fall garden, um, it, a lot of it is, you know, your cool weather crops, which includes your root vegetables. So we have beets, carrots, um, parsnips, and then uh, radishes. And of course, when you plant beets, then you have the fabulous beet greens, which we've been using a lot of this year. Um, I'm really excited about beet greens. I've never really utilized them very much because when you buy the beets in the store, a lot of the times they don't have the greens on them. Um, and so I've been learning how to use the beet greens a little bit more, which has been really cool to get. Um, I feel like a beets is like a, a twofold plant, you know, because you get the root part that's edible and then you also get the greens that are edible. So you get two, two different harvests basically from one plant. So beets is kind of my new love in the garden this year. And then, um, you know, you also have your cool weather crops. So you have kale, um, Brussels sprouts, cabbage, um, cauliflower, broccoli, you know, kind of all of your brassica family of those are your cool weather crops. And of course, a lot of times we plant those in the spring or the earlier spring and harvest them in the spring. But if you plant them now, 
um, then you're going to be able to harvest those in the fall and they'll, and they'll go through as well. So we just sowed, um, and then lettuce. We actually have a specific blend of lettuce that we get from um, Baker Creek Heirloom Seeds, which is my favorite seed company because they're all heirloom, which I adore. <laughs> And organic, and they just they have a lot, a huge variety of seeds, bigger than any seed company that I've ever seen, and it's all heirloom, um, so don't have to worry about uh, GMOs. And I just love the stories that they have behind their seeds. You know, they tell the stories where they got the seeds, the people who've been saving them, and then they also have really great info too on what regions that the seeds do best in. Which is key because, you know, if you're down in Georgia, then you don't want a lettuce variety that does better in cool weather because <laughs> it's not going to perform as well for you. So we actually order a variety, um, our lettuce seed, we get a variety pack and it's for um, the cooler areas, the mountain regions. Um, and it goes all the, you know, we'll go all the way through to the, to the hard frost. So a lot of the crops, um, like actually our beets, um, carrots and our lettuce, I kind of do um, a continual sowing on those. And so if I'm really good at my organization and having <laughs> everything done that I need to on my list, um, then about every two to three weeks, um, you can sow new seed. And so you're constantly having a replenishing of these crops coming up. And that works really good with lettuce, which likes to bolt, uh, or excuse me, with spinach, um, spinach likes to bolt. And so spinach isn't something that I plant in the first part of summer because by the time it comes up then we're in the heat of summer and it bolts on me um and I just have a hard time keeping a good crop of that so spinach is something that I start to plant um the end of August and so then that goes in and I don't have to worry about it bolting it does much weather better in the cooler weather so a lot of the fall crops they really do better when you have um cool weather but you plant them when it's hot out so it seems kind of contradictory um but planning your fall garden you want to do that now and so um, my carrots and the beets and the lettuce are something that about every two to three weeks um, throughout the summer, I'm planting a new section of that in the garden um, so that we have it continually coming up. And so for most of the plants that you're going to plant for the fall, you're going to want to plant those the first part of August. Now for things that have a little bit longer um, period before they're ready to harvest, so like your broccoli, cabbage, and cauliflower, uh, Brussels sprouts, those kinds of things you're going to want to probably put in transplants. So if you didn't start them from seed yourself and have transplants already going, um, and of course this is going to depend for you when your first frost, hard frost date is. If your first hard frost date isn't until the end of November or December, then you can totally start those from seed now and, and put them in the garden. Um and you won't have any any problem whatsoever. But for us, um, we really want to put in some starts. So you can go to, um, I like to go to local nurseries, nurseries if it's something I haven't started from seed myself. Um, just because if it's a local nursery, um, a lot of times you can really, you can talk to someone. It's been started and grown here in your area. It's acclimated for here. Um, a lot of times, even the big, you know, the big box stores, they will just get shipments of their shipped from, you know, across the country of their plants and stuff coming in. So they're not necessarily acclimated or even for this area. Though a lot of times you can ask them, you know, and they'll, they'll let you know where they were from and that kind of a thing. But I really like working with a local nursery if I'm buying plants from. And of course I want, you know, organic and heirloom. So I really check out the varieties and the tags and to make sure that that's what I'm getting and putting in our garden because we do an all heirloom garden um, and organic. So that's really high on my list. But you want to put your transplants in. And of course, if you're getting anything from the nursery, um, 
I like to harden things off in my area or getting them so you don't shock them too much. So I like to um, set them at our house and leave them in their container. Um, I kind of put them in a sheltered area for the first couple days and then move them to where they're going to be planted and leave them for a day before I plant them so they kind of get used to where it is. Um, Because actually the closest nursery to us is... um, about 60 miles away and we always say down below up here because I live in the foothills of the Cascade Mountain Range and so anytime we travel you know the closest um you're probably gonna think this is funny but the closest stoplight to us is about 40 minutes away um about 35 miles before I hit the closest stoplight so and that's also like the closest fast food place which we don't really go to very much, but just to give you an idea, we're pretty rural. So when I buy from our local nursery, um, when we go down below, as we call it, um, cause we're going down in elevation. Um, then when I'm bringing it back up here, our weather is usually a little bit hotter in the summertime and a little bit colder in the wintertime. We have a little bit more, um, fluctuation in our temperatures than they do closer to the coast. So whenever I buy any plants from down there, I kind of baby them and let them get used to where we're at for a couple of days. So if you're putting in transplants um, and you're buying them from a place that's a little bit further away or not right in your area, then you might want to do that as well so they have a better chance of starting. And when you're putting in your cool weather crops, and this is especially true when you're doing it from seed. So like beets, um, I do from seed. Carrots, I sow directly from seed. Lettuce, I do a from seed. Um, and if they do better in cool weather, a lot of times, especially in August, if your soil is too hot, so um, not just the air temperature, but the soil itself is too hot, then a lot of these cooler weather crops won't germinate um, and they won't grow as well when, to begin with. So what you can do is you can set up something that shades the area in the garden if it's not in a shady area where you're going to be planting the seed. And you can also watch the weather um, and see if there's going to be a couple cool days coming up or some really rainy weather where it's going to be um, a little bit cooler than normal in the summertime. Pick those days to plant and sow your fall garden crops. Um, so you can uh, shade the area and then keep it really damp and moist. You don't want it dry because anytime we're planting seeds, we need things to be really uh, moist for that germination to happen. And then the wetness is also going to keep your soil a little bit cooler as well. So um, you'll want to, you know, look at the area in your garden where you're going to be putting the fall crops in and see if there's a way that you can shade it. Um, and then you want to be keeping it moist. So whether that's by hand, circle hoses, uh, sprinkler, make sure that you keep that soil nice and moist for a couple couple days before you plant. And then um, especially for beet seeds, I have had a much, much, much better germination on them when I soak the seeds overnight. And this is especially going to be true when you're doing your planting um, because in August, we don't get a lot of rainfall even here in the Pacific Northwest. Kind of crazy. But the soil typically anywhere in August is going to be a lot drier than normal. So soaking some of those seeds, especially like the beet seeds, um, is going to be key into getting a germination. And then once you sow these fall crops, you want to make sure that you're keeping a really good eye on your soil and that you're keeping it really nice and moist when they germinate and start to grow. And of course, as we get further into fall um, and here we get more rainy, then that isn't such a big concern. But in the beginning, because you're planting at almost the hottest time of the year and these are more cool weather plants, you want to make sure that you're keeping them nice and moist and that you're um, giving them some relief from the sun if you can provide them with any type of shade. And so sometimes what you can do is like, you know, if you have corn or we grow pole beans and so our pole beans get up to be about, well, as high as the pole is that I can put in actually, or the trellis system that we put up. Um, but they're at least four and a half feet tall. 
So if you plant some of your cool weather crops behind them, depending upon where your sun's at in the position of your garden, then those taller crops are going to actually shade the soil behind them. So that can be a way, um, you know, if you're looking and you're like, well, I don't really have a way to put anything up to create shade. Um, look at your plants and the way the sun's coming through and see if you can plant behind something that's pretty tall or really dense um, that's going to provide some natural shade uh, for this time of year. And so um, with the two, you want to make sure um, when you're putting in a lot of your fall crops like um, beets and carrots and even lettuce, um, I always put down more seed than I'm going to want. So I kind of over sow, so to speak. And so you want to make sure that you do that because those those specifically require quite a bit of thinning. Um, and so like with beets, a lot of times I notice, um, you know, people, if you don't get a, a very large beet um, down on the bottom, it's because beets actually, their little seeds are kind of funny. They're like actually like a little capsule. And so when you plant that beet seed, there's like actually a whole bunch of little seeds inside that capsule and so when when it germinates if all of the little seeds inside the little capsule germinate then you're going to have a whole bunch that pop up and if you don't thin them out then they're too crowded together and there's just not enough room for the beet to develop underneath the soil so um I let mine go until the beet green itself is about two to three inches high um, you know, it's still pretty tender and they're pretty young. And then that's when I go through and I thin my beets and you'll actually see kind of a long tap root starting to form, which is obviously would be the beet if we left it alone. And so I pull those out and then I rinse them off real good. And then I use them as salad because I even chop up the root part. That's the little beet and use that with them. So then I use the beet greens in salads, chop it up for just a regular, you know, green salad. And I've been using them in smoothies, um, we got a brand new, which I'm super excited about, um, Blendtec blender. I have wanted like a super powered blender that I could do green smoothies and actually cook in for a really long time. And so we just got one two weeks ago. And so I've been going crazy. I think I've used it every single day since we got it, sometimes twice. <laughs> and so I love it. And so that's one of the things that I can toss in smoothies and stuff when I'm making them in the morning or for snacks is the whole beet green. And so I just put the whole thing in. Um, and so that's a great way when you're thinning. So you're not tossing and you are not using the plants that you're thinning out, but you have to thin out beets. Otherwise they won't develop underneath the ground. And you won't get a nice large beet to actually cook with later. So thinning your beets is super important, but I wait until mine, like I said, are about three inches tall, the beet greens. Um, so that there's some substance there and then I can use those in recipes. But I have to tell you, if you're going to use the beet greens with the root, um, in your smoothie, they still have quite a, a strong beet flavor, which I like beets. I like the beet flavor. Um, but I'll just tell you, the spinach, I've noticed, doesn't have quite as much of that strong flavor comes through when you blend it up into a smoothie. But the beet greens really came through. So it, the first time I used them, I kind of went crazy and I put like, mm, I think I had like six beets greens that I had thinned with the roots on them and some of them were kind of good size. And it was a little bit earthy tasting. Um, I used yogurt and some and blueberries and then I tossed in those beet greens and it it was drinkable but it was a little bit strong on the earth flavors. So the next time I did it I backed it off and I just used like three beet greens and that was like perfect. So with those beet greens if you're doing them like in a fruit smoothie um 
just be warned <laughs> that they can be a little bit strong. But I just love that I can use the beet greens in other recipes. And then um, a friend of mine, she loves the beet greens, and she just um, kind of coarsely chops them up and then either steams, steams them or sautés them with a little bit of butter and seasoning. And she said they're fabulous that way. So I'm going to be doing that um, soon with the next thinning that I have coming up. And so with like your carrots and your beets and your lettuce, usually you can just direct sow the seed right into the ground up to four to six weeks before your last frost date. So I technically could still be sowing those things um, clear through up until the first week of September. Um, So a lot of those things, you know, if your frost date's a little bit sooner, you know, don't fret. You can still get those items in ahead of time. Um, The ones that you really want to make sure, because like most um, broccoli, cauliflower, cabbage, those have about a 60 day um, before they're ready to harvest, which is why if you're putting them in now that you want to use transplants. And so... You know, I really like to use, um, in the fall garden, I love cabbage. I don't know about you guys, but I love doing like, especially in the fall, um, well, we love just to fried cabbage. Oh my goodness. With like a little bit of lard and butter or, um, and some bacon fat. I know I'm I'm getting hungry now, (laughs) but we just love, um, fried cabbage. And so cabbage is one of the fall crops that I really like to have a lot of, um, and then, you know, coleslaws, um, we like to um, shred cabbage and put it on homemade fish tacos. Um, and then cabbage rolls is one of my favorite, absolute favorite things. And I like to put cabbage in, you know, stews and soups and that kind of a thing. And one of the great things about cabbage is you actually, um, one, if you take a whole head of cabbage, you can put it in the freezer and freeze it. And then when you go to make cabbage rolls, let it thaw. And then you don't have to pre-boil the leaves because they're going to be soft enough for you to roll up and do your cabbage rolls. Um, so that's kind of a little time-saving trick and also a way to preserve them. But then I know a lot of old-timers around here and some of my neighbors actually um, with cabbage, for storing cabbage, they actually, um, once it's ready to harvest, is they leave all of the leaves on it and kind of wrap it up in those leaves. And then they bury it in the ground, just directly in the ground. They bury it down and then cover it with like a little bit of some straw and stuff on top. And they leave it outside like that all year long. Now, of course, this is going to depend upon where you live, um, how much of a snowfall that you get. Because if you get a ton of snow, then you're probably not going to be able to dig down and get it. So you might not want to use that method. Um, but here, you know, in the very middle of winter, you know, we can get a couple feet sometimes. It generally doesn't stay on the ground. Um, a normal year, you know, might stay on the ground for a week and then melts off. Then we might get more. But um, at least for the first part of winter, we can go out and dig it up. So when you dig it up, it's going to be really dirty. Um of course, and then you're going to peel back, you know, those outer layers to get to the to the inner good part. But a lot of people store their cabbage like that outside, and it's kind of like doing a mini root cellar, basically. Um, and that's a wonderful thing about a lot of these fall crops, especially where we are, where our winters are a little bit milder than like the Midwest and some of the uh, Northeast coast. Um, and that's the same like with your carrots um, and your beets, you know, your root underground crops and we generally don't with our potatoes I dig my potatoes up um, and store them I don't leave them in the ground but um, your beets and your carrots can just be left in the ground and you can mulch on top with some straw and then as you need them throughout the year in the winter time you can just go and pull them up Um, so that's another thing about the fall garden is a lot of the stuff you don't have to preserve um, like you do in the summertime because it will just stay good um, underneath the ground and so I'm all about anytime I can preserve something without having to put in as much work um, I'm totally on that I love those old-time methods um, that you can do like that and of course 
with cabbage, then you can make sauerkraut. And that's another preserving method um, that you can do. So I really like the fall crops. Um, They add a lot of versatility. And again, depending, you know, if you have a late um, fall that goes through or then you don't have to um, worry about, you know, your hard frost. So I'm really hoping this year we have, you know, we call it Indian summer around here that goes really late into the fall with, with the good weather without it getting really cold. Um, and so, and you know, a lot of things like we don't plant, um, you know, most of your greens you can do in the fall as well. Um, of course, spinach, um, collard greens and that kind of a thing. Of course, we don't do most of those, um, up here, but we do love spinach. And then with kale, kale is one of our darling, um, foods that we just started using a lot of and learning about and cooking with um, about two years ago. And so before that, um, growing up, my parents, we never had kale. My mom never cooked with kale. We never grew kale. Kale just wasn't something I really knew a whole lot about, honestly. And so um, about two years ago, we started hearing a lot about kale and um, I got kale at the store and made kale chips. And this is the funniest story ever. I have to tell you guys. So my son um, was eight when this was going on and he's my picky eater like I have a hard time getting him to eat things his younger sister eats just about any and everything but my son is a little bit picky especially when it comes to the stuff that's good for him go figure right so we had made kale chips and I'd made them about four times and we were making them um, about every week almost every other week and so I had made a big batch and it was his Cub Scout night and so I was driving him to Cub Scouts and the kale chips had just come out of the oven he hadn't had a chance to really eat them yet and so I just tossed them in a in a on a napkin in a bowl and said, you can just eat them on the way, you know, in the car. So we're driving to Cub Scouts and he's eating his kale chips. And like I said, he'd had them about four or five times by this time. And all of a sudden he gets, you know, he gets done and he's like, mom, I'm like, yeah, is kale a vegetable? (laughs) And I loved it because the kale chips were so good. He didn't know they were a vegetable and it had just dawned on him you know, that he was eating a vegetable. And so kale is one of my favorite things because anytime I tell him we're making kale chips, I know that I don't have to fight um, or, you know, stress about him eating his vegetables. He doesn't give me any guff about it, so to speak. So kale chips are one of our favorite things. And kale is great. Now, I have noticed that the curly kale, if you've ever had kale and you thought it was a little bit bitter, perhaps, um, obviously the younger it's harvested, then the less bitterness it's going to have or and the texture won't be quite as tough, but we found that the curly kale seems to be a little bit sweeter. So we like to do the curly kale. And I actually really like too, there's a really, um, it's a dark purple kale and it's curly as well. And that's another variety that we really like um, are those two varieties the most. And so um, kale is something that we actually use even as a cover crop in our garden. So um, when winter's coming on, we will sow that. Um, You can just actually get like a big bag of it and just kind of hand toss it out um, instead of, you know, placing it down in a row and use it as a cover crop. And that worked really good. We did part of the garden in a cover crop last year with kale and that grew almost all winter. It kind of stunted and stopped growing during the really cold part of winter. But then as soon as it started to warm up again, um, and by warming up, I'm talking, you know, like getting in the 40s (laughs) and and low 50s during the day um it started to grow again so that one we almost were able to grow all year long actually without any row covers or in the greenhouse or anything with the kale and so kale is one thing that should definitely be on your radar for a fall crop planting um now and then another 
one. My husband loves Brussels sprouts, actually. Um, it's kind of funny. Some of the brassicas and different ones, people turn up their noses at. But he loves Brussels sprouts. And so we planted um put Brussels sprouts in for the fall and Brussels sprouts are really interesting because a lot of plants, you know, if the hard frost gets them, then that's kind of the end of it. But if you leave your Brussels out in the garden and then they go through a frost, they're much sweeter. So after they go through the frost, you know, then go out and and harvest them and bring them in. And you're going to notice that they're a lot sweeter once they go through the frost. And so that's an excellent, Brussels sprouts are an excellent fall crop um, because they really just have better flavor. And so we purposely don't harvest ours until it frosts um, just so that they have that sweeter flavor. And it doesn't harm them, you know, it doesn't harm them at all as far as, you know, texture and all that kind of thing to go through that first frost. And so we actually left um, a couple plants out even after the first frost. They went through a couple frosts and they go through too many, then they start to get kind of mushy. Um, But we left ours out there for about a week and it went through a couple different frosts and then brought them in and they were really good. So there are some things that actually benefit from the frost um, as far as your plants go. So I really hope that you guys decide to put in a fall garden of some type. Um, And I would love to see um, here what you guys grow all year long um, or if you have any more on that. And so we're going to get to the question of the week. And so the question of the week was, um, I don't always buy organic. So if I put those scraps in my compost bin, does that mean that my compost isn't organic? And is that okay? Um, so my answer to this is I don't buy everything organic either. Surprise. <laughs> because some things don't need to be um, organic because they're not naturally sprayed with a lot of pesticides to begin with. Um, so one of the things that I don't buy organic is asparagus. Um, asparagus isn't really treated with a whole lot commercially grown um, that we do like to buy from a local farmer. So I don't, some of the things that we purchase, I don't buy organically. Um, if it's on the dirty dozen list, which is the... Um, fruits and vegetables that are tested to have the highest concentrates of chemicals and pesticides on them, then I do try to purchase those items organically. And so when you're, you know, when you're putting your scraps and stuff in your compost pile, um, I would say if you're comfortable enough eating those items not organically, then by all means, put them in your compost pile. Um, I personally probably wouldn't put in, um, we only buy organic apples because apples are one of the most heavily sprayed um produce items out there if they're not grown organically. They're sprayed like three to four times during their growth. So I wouldn't put apples in the um, that weren't organic in the compost pile. But you know, if you're eating the items, then by all means, put them in your in your compost pile. Um, is it technically organic? Well, it's just the scraps. Um, and I'm sure you, you know, you've washed them before you eat them. And so I would say I would still consider it organic. I mean, is it certified? Well, you know, if it's your home composting, it's probably not going to be certified organic to be anyways. Um, but by the time, you know, it all breaks down before you're going to be putting it on your plants. Um, you know, I would feel perfectly fine using that and calling it organic. And the, the fact that you're composting and that you're feeding your soil and your plants, good compost is a great thing. So that's my, um, that's what I my recommendation and my thoughts on it. And I'd love to hear if you guys have any. And make sure to head over to melissaknorris.com to subscribe for free modern homesteading updates to help you live the simple life.